we are in a series talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We want to produce the good fruit in our lives, yeah? So, but we also have some fruit by the foot here to emphasize this. You're, you're ready, Rob. Some people come to church and you're like, I'm ready to get blessed. Come on. <laughs> That's awesome. Didn't even make me work that hard. Okay, who wants it in the middle over here? Oh, Zach's back there. All right, Zach, you're kind of far, but I'm going to go for it. Oh, that was accurate. That, we need that kind of quarterback play from the Oregon Ducks this year. All right. All right, who's over here? Kelly, Jared wants it. You, you want to be a back row Christian and ask for fruit by the foot. Oh, all right, all right. Woo! Yeah, I need some Icy Hot or something like that. How many of you know, as like a dad, when you cross 30 years old, you basically have two things. You like always have to have beef jerky in the cupboard and like Icy Hot, right? Oh, I got to... You just always have an injury. What, what happened? Oh, I was playing Xbox, you know. It's just whatever it gets you. We are talking about the Holy Spirit producing fruit in our lives, but we're going to get to that in a second because there's something else happening today. Did you know what that is? It's Mother's Day. We're excited to celebrate all of the wonderful moms here today. So everybody, please stand up. Not the ladies. All the ladies stay seated, but all the gentlemen, please stand. Let's give our moms a standing ovation today. Thank you. Awesome. All right, you ugly brute, sit down. Sit down. And moms, we have a, we have a crumble cookie for you uh, as you exit today. Uh, dudes, it's not for you. It's not Father's Day. So I, I don't want to see any of you guys wearing like, you know, a wig or something trying to get a cookie. That, we had that in first service. We had to shut it down. <laughs> just shut it right down. No, I'm kidding. We didn't have that. But moms, uh, just from the bottom of, of my heart, I want to say thank you for what you've done, who you are, the love, the encouragement. Uh, you're amazing and we cherish you. We honor you today and we're going to pray for you. Lord, I pray for all the wonderful moms and spiritual moms and future moms and Lord, just the, the ladies that you have blessed our church with and that are here online, that are watching this, Lord, that are here in the room, we, we pray your best blessing on them today. We honor them. We cherish them. We thank you for them, for the impact that they have in our lives and the sacrifice and service and grace and goodness and kindness that they've poured out. Let them be refreshed and encouraged and honored today. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. And real quick, I want to just uh, say hello to somebody very special. My grandma and grandpa are here today. Can you guys just wave joining us? So, so glad to have them here. And it's, it's, you know, I want to say a special thing about my grandma, Carolyn, who I call Nani, um, is that because I'm her favorite and uh, grandchild uh, is why she's here today. And uh, she really spoiled me, which is what developed this great self-esteem I have. Because she would come up from California with her fur coats, right, and things that she had. And I would get to play in those as a little child. And they would always bring me, what are those cookies? The round uh, shortbread? shortbread cookies? The nut, tree. the nut tree in California. And so at some point, my sister Natalie had the audacity to be born. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden it was like, I had to learn this new word called sharing, sharing, share. I can't even say it. <laughs> it's stuck in my throat. Uh, and I had to, had, to, had to work on that, but so good to have you guys here. Great to have you here. Well, you guys ready to jump into the Word this morning? Yeah. All right. 17 people are excited out of hundreds. That's awesome. Just love it. You're just excited about cookies and fruit by the foot, huh? 
Just, yeah, that's what you're here for. So we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we want to produce the good fruit. Let the good fruit be produced in our lives. And last week we kind of jumped in and started talking about this out of the book of Galatians. And I'll recap a little bit. But how many of you know the natural state of a garden is not fruit? The natural state of a garden is not good vegetables. The natural state of a garden is not good, beautiful flowers. The natural state of a garden is weeds. Any of you have a green thumb out here? Anybody good at that gardening thing? Bethany's awesome at it. I'm not. I, I kill everything. Uh, she's like, hey, I don't know if we should do this roundup thing. And I'm just like, yeah, this is great. Uh, but the natural state, what I know is this, that when you have a patch of land, the natural state is weeds. And it doesn't produce good fruit. It requires cultivation. It requires the right atmosphere, the right environment, and the right input into that, that patch of land to produce good fruit. And uh, it's the same with us as human beings. The natural fruit, the natural state of our hearts is not to produce good fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but it's to produce the works of darkness and, and sin. And so we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to produce that good fruit. And that's what we're talking about in this message. The little tagline for this series is this, where the Spirit flows, the good fruit grows. Where the Spirit flows, the good fruit grows. Let's dive in and read. In Galatians chapter 5, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to uh, either a church or a group of churches in the region called Galatia. And these were Gentile people that had been uh, witnessed to. Paul had shared the gospel and established a church. And then all these uh, perhaps well-meaning but mistaken believers came along and said, well, you have to do all this extra stuff. You have to follow the law of Moses if you're going to be a Christian. And so Paul, in this book of Galatians, is really contrasting a life of striving versus a life of thriving. You see, when we try to earn our own salvation, when we try to produce good fruit of our own strength, we end up striving when we allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us and we create an atmosphere, an environment for the Holy Spirit to work. He's the one that produces fruit and we get to walk in thriving, which is where we want to be. So Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Somebody say, uh-oh. All right, here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Moms are like, all that happened with my kids at home this week, right? It was all right there on display. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And this is the good stuff. This is what we want. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is what we're leaning into today and talking about, this kind of fruit. Now I want to make a note here that it doesn't come, this fruit, the fruit of love, the fruit of peace, the fruit of joy, they don't come from our own effort and earning. You don't have to work hard. I want you to think about a tree out in an orchard. You don't hear them out there groaning, striving to produce fruit. That's what they're designed to do when they have the right sun and soil and atmosphere and nutrients, right? And so where the Holy Spirit flows, the good fruit grows. These are not works of our own nature, works of our own uh, uh, doing. These are works of the Holy Spirit as we create an atmosphere for him to do what he does. Come on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're amening worse than I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm not really preaching great, but you're amening worse. So how about I raise the preaching and you raise the amening? How does that sound? <laughs> 
you're like, I'm just coming to church for the first time. What does amen even mean? It's like Christianese, right? It's what pastors say in between the spots when they say stuff, right? To amen, to they get their next thought. So the idea here is that it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. This is what Paul says. It's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. It doesn't come from our own effort, but it comes as we create an environment for him to work. So today and moving forward in this series, we're going to begin to talk about each of the fruits of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. And so today, which I think is so fitting on Mother's Day, we're talking about the fruit of love. Somebody say, oh, the fruit of love. I don't think there's one fruit that perhaps personifies moms or fits moms better than, than love. I'm looking at them here. Maybe, maybe self-control, because when your kids are out of order, then you, <laughs> you want to take them down, right? But the fruit of love, the Holy Spirit wants to produce this fruit in our lives. What I want to do is, is examine what that fruit looks like, how it manifests in our lives as the Holy Spirit produces it. You know, I preached on this a, a several weeks ago about the definition of love in our culture and society over and against the definition of love that God gives us based on his character and his nature. And if you want to go back and watch that message, I'd encourage it. But one of the, the passages that I think most of us are familiar with on the nature of love and what love from God's perspective really looks like is another writing of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, maybe you haven't been in church. Maybe you're watching online for the first time or watching on replay and you're like, I think I've heard these words before that I'm going to read. Well, it comes from this letter that Paul wrote to this church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I could speak all the language of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about that, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. How many of you are getting the point that he's trying to make here? Without love, everything else doesn't really matter. Come on. Without love, everything else doesn't really matter. You can have the greatest religious activity. I prophesy, right? I'm the prophet of God. But if there's no love, you're not, you're missing it. You're like a jelly-filled donut without the, without the jelly. Come on. You're missing the thing that gives it substance. It's interesting because I think what, what most people feel they lack when they encounter Christians is not the Christian's doctrine. It's the fact that the Christian doesn't have the jelly inside of the donut. It's like, where's the love? Come on. It's like a Wendy's hamburger. Where's the beef, right? Where's the love? Paul says, hey, you could be prophesying. You could have all the knowledge. You could know everything about the Bible. Do you know some of the meanest people I've ever met know the Bible? But they don't know the Bible because they haven't let it come on the inside and fill them with the love of God. He says, you can understand all of this knowledge. You could have even faith that moves mountains. Come on, who wants faith like that? I do, right? Especially if I have to like bike up that mountain, then I want that faith. Make it flat, you know, move it. If I have to run up it or whatever, no, please, I just want flat ground. Faith to move mountains, but it, without love, Paul says, look, all this stuff, all the knowledge, all the faith, all of this performance, all of your religious activity is good, but without love, you would have gained nothing. And then he goes in and he says, this definition of love, which is I think completely challenging to us because it's not our native language. It's not our native 
tongue. It's not what we produce out of the garden of our heart apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, apart from Christ. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word today. I pray that we'd receive what you want to do in us. I pray that, God, we'd be challenged and we would change based on what you communicate to us today from your word. Lord, we want to not just have the the look, but we want to have the substance. We don't want to just have knowledge. We want to have it filled with love. We don't want to just prophesy. We want our prophecy and our knowledge and our activity to be filled with your love so that it changes the world around us and makes a difference. Lord, we love you and we give you this time today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul gives us, I believe, six categories out of this. Uh, There's more than that as individuals, but I've broken it into six kind of chunks for us today because there are six aspects of this kind of love and this, this fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce. Number one, the kind of love that God wants to come out of your life, that he wants flourishing, it is patient and kind. Patient and kind. How many of you know that many times we're patient with people, but we let them know it? (laughs) Rob, I'm waiting for you to get it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Why? Because we might be going, hey, I'm patient. I'll wait for you. I'm waiting for you to get it. I'm waiting for you to, to improve your behavior. I'm waiting, whatever. I'm patient but we're keeping score. We're, we want them to know it. Look how patient I'm being with you right now, you moron. Because that's really what you're saying, isn't it? And, and when you think about it, it's funny, but it's really not how God is with us. God is patient and kind. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that God is so patient with us in the midst of our sins? How many of you ever get impatient with the world around you? You're like, man, I want that group to get it. I want these people to get it. What's going on? They need to get, God needs to judge them. God needs to work on them. God needs to do such and such a thing. And when I feel this way, because I, I definitely do, and I'll talk about this more as we go on today, uh, I always hear the Holy Spirit kind of chuckling because in the back of my mind, because I realize the patience that he's exhibiting with people that I don't really like is the exact same patience he's exhibiting with me. There's patience, but there's also kindness. And here's the thing. This kind of love that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in your life, it's patience with kindness is rooting for people to get it. It's saying, man, I'm on board with you. I'm your cheerleader. I'm not waiting. I'm not expressing patience with you and kind of making sure you understand that I'm ahead of you and I'm waiting for you to catch up. I'm underneath you. I'm lifting you. I'm doing everything I can do, believing that God's going to get through to you and God's going to work on you in the same way that he's had to knock on this thick skull and work on me. Come on. Patience and kindness together is a powerful combination. And, And Paul says, look, this is what love is. Love is patient and kind. It's not just patient. It's not just, oh, I'm just waiting for you to get it. No, it's care about you. I'm, I'm rooting for you. I'm believing again and again and waiting for God to get through to you in the same way that he got through and he's getting through to me. We all want that patience and kindness expressed to us, don't we? The kind of love that, that we want to be shown is the kind of love that we want to give. Now again, this isn't our native language, so the Holy Spirit produces it in us as we create that environment. Number two, Paul goes on, he says, love is not jealous, 
It's not boastful, proud, or rude, and doesn't demand its own way. Now, those are a lot of individual words, but what they are roughly summed up by is that they're all attributes of thinking of yourself more highly than you think of other people. They're saying, I'm more important than you. When you're jealous, what you're saying is, hey, you haven't properly valued my stock, and I need you to understand that my stock is more valuable than you think it is. I'm jealous, right? I'm, I'm boasting. I'm telling you that I'm boasting that how good I am so that you understand that you're not valuing me enough. I'm proud. I'm being rude. When you're rude to somebody, what you're saying is, I'm going to express my anger or my irritation or whatever. I'm going to say harmful things to you. I'm going to be rude to you. Why? Because you're beneath me. You're less than me. Come on. All of these are aspects of thinking of yourself more highly than you think of another person. And you're saying underneath it all, I'm more important than you. But here, here, here's something that we need to understand. Pride and love do not coexist. They do not mix. They are oil and water. For love to be properly, uh, to be the proper environment for love, it requires humility. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. He said, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, though he had every single right to be like, hey, I'm better than you. I'm God. I've never sinned. So you guys, you know what? Get it together. Get your act together. Jesus humbled himself. The greatest act of love is always paired with humility, never with pride. And when we think about what Paul's saying here, he's saying, hey, when you think of yourself at a higher level, when you are walking in pride, jealousy and boasting and rudeness and demanding your own way, demanding your right, it's pride and it, and it, it, it evacuates the atmosphere of love. Come on. Humility is the breeding ground of real love. You know, Bethany and I have been happily married for 14 years. I've been happily married for 14 years. She's been happily married for eight. And um, <laughs> pushing it. I'm just being generous, you know. Uh, no, we've been happily married for 14 years. But I remember our, our, our first year of marriage was rough. It was, it was tough. And uh, how many of you would say, man, I think back to like getting married and it's happy. Some people, it's like they have the honeymoon phase for one year and then it's rough. For us, it was like, Rough for that first year and then, and then more fun later. But we had a rough first year. And uh, a lot of it was due to the fact that I was just so prideful. I was more concerned with being right than being loving. I was more concerned with minutia of details and getting my own way and making sure she knew, well, you're wrong about this. It's not 1444 Sanderson Drive. It's 1443 how many of you have had huge fights about one digit that your spouse was wrong or something? Come on. And what's going on is, for me, it was pride. And pride empties the, the, the oxygen of love out of the room. Humility allows it to grow. Now, you don't have to like raise your hand or shout amen, but if that fits you, just take it, receive it, and go, thank you, Jesus. But in, in the first year of our marriage, one of the problems that, that I was creating was this atmosphere of pride, which robs the room of love. You know, yesterday, I'm sorry, not yesterday, today, 
was it today that we went through? We went through a, a coffee place, and I was conversing with the barista, and uh, she said something, and I go, oh, have fun with your family today, because I thought this is the lady that, you know, yesterday I was talking to, because we may or may not, but definitely do go through coffee stand every single day. Like, sorry, Dave Ramsey, but we need it to survive, so back off. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> I just use this as therapy sometimes, if you don't know, but we go through, and we're talking to the barista, and, and she said, I'm going to go, you know, be with my parents. So today I said, hey, have fun with your family. We drive off, and uh, Bethany goes, I don't think that was the same lady. And I was like, it definitely was. And she's like, I don't think so. And I'm like, I think, I think it maybe it for sure definitely was the same lady. And the kids are like, dad, you know, and they, not, how many kids, be quiet. You don't, we don't need you. We brought you into this world. And we can take you out. <laughs> so the kids, I mean, kids, I feel too, like they always side with her, right? It's just probably because she's, you know, lovely and good and, and pure and actually feeds them and keeps them alive. Whereas all I do is, you know, show up sometimes at dinner. So anyways, um, we go back and forth a little bit. We weren't fighting. We were just talking. And I was like, oh, and I started to get like, no, it was the lady. And then I heard this like gentle, still, small voice of the Lord, his gentle shepherd voice, you idiot. <laughs> you're, you're going to go and preach in 20 minutes about love, about humility, about... <laughs> maybe you should try it for yourself, you know? And so uh, I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't her. And guess what didn't happen? The sky didn't fall. <laughs> By saying, perhaps, maybe, maybe on one time I didn't get it right. And then what was funny is I like actually literally mistook someone else's identity like 30 seconds later. I don't even remember what happened. And I was like, yeah, I think I have too much trust in my remember, memory of people. Anyways, all that being said, just in that moment, I had to make a decision. Do I care more about, no, it was her. It was definitely the barista we talked to yesterday. It doesn't matter. And how many of us in life, we get so hung up and what we're doing is we're actually operating in pride because we can't bear the thought of giving one, one chip, one iota of ground to another person, especially the per people we love the most. <laughs> but love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud and doesn't demand its own way. It's less concerned with my rights and more concerned with loving people in the right way. Somebody's going to get blessed by that today. Number three, we're going to have fun on this one. Love is not irritable. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a curmudgeon. I was born a curmudgeon. I come from a long line of curmudgeons, right? This is true. Like a lot of my family line is curmudgeonly, right? Even Grandpa Walt. I mean, <laughs> maybe a little bit, right? I'm just teasing you. But curmudgeons, you know, I'm a curmudgeon. I was born a curmudgeon. I came out, I was like a three-year-old kid, and I already was a curmudgeon. So it wasn't like I became that. I am that. And I get irritated and grumpy at the world. Anybody else here, like, just irritated? And I, I get irritated about everything. I'm irritated about sports. I'm grumpy about politics. I'm not even going to go into that. I'm grumpy about, I even get grumpy at myself. I get grumpy at my kids. Like, uh, just to be transparent with you, I probably spend 80% of my time upset and grumpy and a little irritated at 
other people. And like my favorite thing to do is I'll be in the car and it's just native, right? This is natural. It's not even like, it's not even a gift. It just comes naturally. <laughs> it's not Maybelline. I was born with it. And uh, I'll be driving down the road and, I'll, and I find myself critiquing the driving of other people. Any other guys deal with this or people you just, it's like, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like my family's in the car. What? And I'm, I'm mad and I'm like raging. And sometimes I'll be like, God, raging. And I look over and my dear sweet wife's like, my, my children are in the backseat, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to calm down here. Uh, irritable, uh, irritated. You know, and I, I find myself getting grumpy, even like sports, you know, watching the Ducks on TV. I've noticed my family, they leave the room when I'm watching football games. <laughs> and they're like, we can feel the tension. You know what I mean? We can feel. And I'm like, what's going on? These coaches that are paid $4 million a year, like, I think I know better. You know what I mean? You should have run it. You should have thrown it. Like, why do we lose to the Beavers? You know what I mean? It's just, and I get irritated. Anybody? Anybody here? Anybody? Speaking to anybody here? Yeah. And so... We, we live irritated. But here's the thing. When we're irritable, first of all, that's not what the, the fruit of the Spirit about love is. The fruit of love that the Spirit wants to produce is not this irritable, agitated, always on the edge, ah, kind of thing. Because here's the deal. When we're always irritated, we're not trusting in God. We're not walking in peace. And we're not able to bring peace to other people. Think about that. When people see your face, when they see my face, do they see the face of Jesus? Or do they see somebody who's agitated, irritated, annoyed, bothered by them? I think about the story of Jesus when the little children came to him and he's trying to have church and people want to get healed and people want to hear Jesus' sermon. How many of you would want to hear Jesus' sermon? All the dang kids came up and interrupted the church service. And the disciples were like, get them out of here, right? And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Come on. How many times is our irritation preventing what actually God wants to do in a moment? Because we're too busy. We're too, we know the right way. This is right. And these people shouldn't be doing this way and all of that. And you could be totally right and be totally wrong. Because you're not exhibiting the fruit of love. On Friday, we went to the bottle drop you know, to get the blue, green bags, whatever, so we can dispense of our wealth of cans. And uh, I've had this thing where I'm really irritated all the time because people keep crashing into my car with their doors and shopping carts and things. And I'm like, and it's been happening where I'm in the car, right? So I'm sitting in the car. It's like, you don't even have the decency to wait till I'm gone to crash into my car with your car door. Like, you're just, I'm looking at you. So anyways, I was at the shopping center the other day, and I, this woman pulls up, and she's probably like in her 50s, you know, nice looking lady. She gets out of her car, and she just, bam, just slams her car door. I mean, it like shook my car, you know what I mean? And so I just gave her the cold, dead eyes. Basically like, I think so little of you right now, and I want my eyes to tell you that message right here cold dead eyes <laughs> because I wanted her to say sorry. You know, I, she offended my Ford Flex. You know what I mean? This is my dad mobile. So um, she, she kind of made eye contact and then she, she uh, skittered away, you know. Uh, so I was, I was very irritated about that. So we were at the bottle drop on Friday and this guy comes by and he's carrying an enormous pile stack, Tower of Babel, of plastic containers. And there was like a hundred people there. I mean, it was 
a lot of people at the bottle drop in Springfield on Friday for whatever reason. And uh, this guy comes by our car and he crashes in his, his plastic into the front of our car. And I'm sitting there, 10 and 2, cold dead eyes, <laughs> making eye contact. And he kind of makes eye contact and he kind of waves at me. And I'm just like so irritated. Then this super nice guy, he, he actually steps back into my field of view and he goes, hey, roll your window down. And I roll my window down and I'm still just like lifeless eyes. And he goes, oh man, I'm so sorry. And, I, and instead of me being like a relatively decent human being, I'm like, did you scratch my car? That was the words that came out of my mouth. And he's like, no, man. And he had a huge smile. I, I, I don't know. That guy is probably an angel. And I messed up my opportunity, right? Entertaining angels unaware. And I instantly felt like a jerk. You know what I mean? And Bethany got in the car and I was trying to assuage my guilt. So I told her exactly what I've done. You know, I'm like, babe, this guy hit our car. And I'm like, I was a jerk. And I couldn't see him. I didn't know where he went. And uh, she, she, of course, was gentle and kind and sweet with me, the, uh, not irritated with me, what I had done to this man. But I actually felt convicted because it's funny. But you know what's not funny is that had he needed to see the face of Jesus on Friday, he didn't. And uh, that's convicting. And I, I, I put it in my uh, glove compartment spiritually. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, Lord, help me to show people your face because the fruit that you want to produce is not irritable. Well, what if they hit my car? So what? <laughs> what if they did the wrong thing? You know, what if, what if, what if, what if? What's the face that we show the world? Do they see Jesus or do they see a grump? How many of you, you don't have to even raise your hand, but you go, mm, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me about this. Because when your car is rusted, in some, you know, wrecking yard with the scratched up doors, the people that you did or did not reach with the gospel of Jesus and the love of God are either in eternity with him or not. And I, I just want to care less about the stuff that doesn't matter and more about the things that do. Number four, love keeps no record of being wronged. And this doesn't mean having no boundaries. It doesn't mean that you don't, there aren't consequences. It doesn't mean uh, that you don't have accountability in life. I understand in, in this world, on this side of eternity, relationships get broken. People abuse. There's meanness. There's unkindness. There's rifts. All this kind of stuff. And it's a reality of our broken, fallen world. But here's the deal. Keeping no record of wrong is about letting people off the mat and showing mercy to those who ask for it walking in forgiveness, but it's also showing forgiveness to the people that don't. One of the things I hear all the time is, well, they never said they were sorry. And have you said you were sorry for everything you ever did? Do you even know the things that other people are looking at you going, well, they never said they were sorry? The reality is we can give forgiveness even if it's not asked for, operate in forgiveness. The problem is many times we keep a naughty list like Santa, right? And we check it twice and more than that. <laughs> You know, keeping a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice, who scratched my car at Winco today. You know, it's <laughs> and we have this list or, or people that are in our life. And what the Lord wants to do is unburden you of that list and say, you can throw that away. You can get rid of the list and you can choose to love people who are even unlovable. The, the Holy Spirit wants to produce this fruit of love in your life. Listen to this story. The Reverend George Crane 
tells of a wife that came into his office one day full of hatred toward her husband. I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. She's saying, I have a list. I'm keeping score. I know what he owes me. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. And Dr. Crane came up with an ingenious plan. He said, go home and, and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait that he exhibits. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you can absolutely not live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him that you're getting a divorce. That will really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, <laughs> she smiled and exclaimed, Beautiful. Will he ever be surprised? <laughs> and she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if. For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing, and she never came back to his office. So when she didn't return, Dr. Crane, Reverend Crane, called and said, are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she said. Never. I discovered I really do love him. Her actions had changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as often repeated deeds. It's been proven by research that when you serve and when you love and when you choose to act in a loving way, despite how you feel, the feelings actually follow. But when you're keeping a record of wrong, when you are keeping score, it takes you out of that ability. It takes you away from that, and it creates this environment where love cannot grow. But when you go, you know what, I'm getting rid of the list. Now again, I want to add with wisdom, there are relationships that are abusive and harmful, and this doesn't mean you don't have barriers, okay? I think people misconstrue sometimes the idea of Christian forgiveness, which is to say that there are no consequences or ramifications or divisions of relationships. That, that is a natural part of life. But I'm talking about the work of God in your heart. Are you keeping a list and checking it twice? Or are you letting go and saying, I'm, I'm keeping no record of being wronged? And instead of a record of being wronged, I'm going to keep a record of what's good and holy and right and good about this person. You know, I love that my wife, she sees all my flaws. She sees me irritated 90% of the time impatient. I work too much. I eat too much sugar. I eat too much of everything, really. Uh, even things that are good for me, I'm like, broccoli with cheese, oh, you know. Anyways, she sees me go cookie monster all the time. Uh, she sees all my flaws, but she treats me as if I am the Jake that was made in the image of God, the Jake that I was made to be, a man of God, a good husband, a good father, a good businessman, and I rise to the occasion because her love expects of me something better. Instead of a record of wrongs, it's a record of this is who God made you to be and that's how I see you and that's how she loves me and I want to love her in that same way. And, and think about how God sees you. He doesn't see you at the, at the level of your sin. He sees you at the level of your potential and your future. God's kind of love is the ability to see you at your worst and believe for you to be at your best as you come to his son Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus and he also sees you the person he created and that he made, but he sees you as you are, are to be and as you will be when you're with him forever. He doesn't keep you at the place of your brokenness and your shame and your pain and at your worst. And when we love like God, we don't keep a record of wrongs. We keep a record of right. Okay, number five, 
Love does not rejoice about injustice. It rejoices when truth wins. I'm just going to make a few brief comments on this and we'll finish up today. But we live in a soundbite society, don't we? And it's easy to get caught up in whatever cause or thing that you think is right or righteous or good. And this is for everybody. This isn't just on one side of a political spectrum or anything. It's easy to go, man, I'm going to think the worst and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be happy when the people that I don't agree with, when they get caught in a, in a scandal or they get messed up. And, and the, I, I just believe that Jesus weeps over us because, again, we're so quick to want to embrace lies even about, especially about our enemies, and go, well, if, 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 it, if it matches what the worst I think of that person, then that must be the truth. And I, and I think we need to repent of this. We need to repent of our dishonoring of leaders politically that we don't like or agree with. Some of you need to repent for the way that you have treated our current president, Joe Biden. Some of you need to repent. And some of you need to repent for the way you treated our former president, President Trump. The absolute, some of us need to repent for how we're treating our governor right now. Some of us need to repent for how much we are treating the people that are treating our governor wrong right now. (laughs) We need to repent because we're acting in unloving ways. And sometimes we are not rejoicing about truth. We're just happy if the person we don't like gets condemned by whatever comes out in some soundbite. It got really quiet in here. (laughs) Did I stop preaching the Bible? Rob, I think I'm still preaching the Bible yeah, because it does say that about rejoicing in truth. I, yeah, thanks. Let's make it sure. Here's the deal. Are you happy when truth wins out even when it's your enemy and it goes against your values and your cause and all that? Or are you just excited when the person that you wanted to lose an election or whatever or that you don't like or you don't agree with their leadership when they fall, you know, because of something that wasn't even true? Are you happy about that? Come on, that's convicting to me because the Holy Spirit wants to produce love that's connected with truth. That says, man, it's better for us as a society if we have truth, even if I don't like the person that got off of this or whatever. We don't try people in the court of public opinion. We don't try people out of emotion or rhetoric. We want justice to prevail because that's loving. All right, that's good preaching. And maybe it's hitting some hearts. All right, number six, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. On May 2nd, 1962, a dramatic advertisement appeared in the San Francisco Examiner. I don't want my husband to die in the gas chamber for a crime he did not commit. I will therefore offer my services for 10 years as a cook maid, or housekeeper to any leading attorney who will defend him and bring about his vindication. That was the advertisement. One of San Francisco's greatest attorneys, Vincent Hallinan, read or heard about the ad and contacted the writer Gladys Kidd, who had placed it. Her husband, Robert Lee Kidd, was about to be tried for the murder of an elderly antique dealer. His fingerprints had been found on a blood-stained, ornate sword in the victim's shop. But during the trial... Hallinan, the lawyer, proved that the antique dealer had not been killed by the sword and that Kid's fingerprints and blood on the sword got there because Kid had once toyed with it while playing, playfully dueling with a friend when they were both out shopping. The jury, after 11 hours, found Kid to be not guilty and the attorney refused Gladys Kid's offer of 10 years of servitude. We live in a culture in which when things get hard, we leave. 
Isn't it sad that marriage has now become such a cheap thing where it's like, man, it felt good, so we got married, but now it doesn't feel good, so we leave. God's kind of love is like gladiator games. When I do marriages, it always shocks me. Two people stand in front of me as a minister when I do weddings, and they say, I will love you until death do us part. It sounds more like something you'd say in a medieval duel. (laughs) To death, to the death. That's the kind of love that our God has. Love that never gives up. Well, what about when it's hard? What about when something happens? What about when it doesn't feel the way I want it to feel? Especially then. Love never loses faith. Will they let me down again and again and again and again? Yeah. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's the kind of love we all want, isn't it? Love that's there when you're down. Love that's there when you're wrong. When you did something wrong. When you're mess, you made a mess. That's the kind of love we want for us. And that's the kind of love the Holy Spirit wants to produce through us and in us. God's kind of love. Love that looks like Jesus as he hung between heaven and earth, naked and beaten and bloody, being criticized and mocked. Love that had every right to say, enough! It's too much. It's too much. And yet the words that came out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. The love of God is shocking and scandalous and staggering and too much. And that's the kind of love the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. Jesus himself said, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. The Holy Spirit wants to produce that kind of love in our life and he wants it growing like crazy. He wants our hearts so cultivated and broken that this kind of self-sacrificial sort of crazy, out of control, over the top, too much type of love is coming out of our lives. What a beautiful society if we laid down our rights and picked up the right kind of love. What? What about this? And what about that? No, no, no. I'm not saying throw away truth. I'm saying what about if we made a decision to be radical? Radical political. No, no. Radical love. Radical, crazy lay your life down kind of love. The kind of love that propelled the Christian church for hundreds of years to become the dominant religion of the world, not because of the power, but because of this radical kind of love that was being demonstrated as Christians would rush into plague-stricken cities and serve their neighbors that were their enemies. The kind of love that as Roman citizens were throwing their children out into the streets to be eaten by dogs, the kind of Christians that would go and embrace those kids and bring them into orphanages, the kind of love that would propel Christians to be eaten by lions in Roman gladiatorial games, and you would yet utter words just like Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Save them. The kind of radical love that when they were being burned at the stake would pray for the people that were doing it, the kind of radical love that Jesus gave us That's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce. Sacrificial, action-oriented, putting others first, long-suffering, humble, patient, and kind, love. Do you know that God loves the people that you hate? Which is awesome. It's good news because somebody hates you. 
Come on. This is the kind of love he wants to work in us. It comes when we serve, when we put others first, when we do what's right rather than cling to our rights. And love says, you're more important than me. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be an environment for you to produce this fruit of love in our lives. That, Lord, we don't do it out of our own effort or earning. Even to walk away today and go, I want to be more loving is not what creates this. It's saying, Holy Spirit, humble me. Soften the soil of my heart. Help me to stop being so irritable. Help me to stop keeping a record of wrong. Would you cultivate? Would you dig up the fallow ground? Would you create in me a place where this fruit can grow? Because this kind of fruit, this love can change the world, can change hearts, it can change lives. This is what you want to do in me, Lord, and this is what you want to do in our world. Lord, let your fruit of love grow in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. You know, real quick, every single week there's people that come to church or watch online or watch on replay that are looking for Jesus. Maybe not knowing that is who you're looking for, but looking for hope, looking for life, looking for peace, looking for answers. And right now is a moment where you can put your faith and trust in Jesus not phony religion, not, oh, I'm just going to pray a prayer, get fire insurance, not that type of thing. I'm talking about making a decision to give your life to Jesus, trust in him for your salvation, and follow him. And if that's you today and you want to put your faith in Christ, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Please, thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you. I want to put my faith in Christ, Pastor Jake. I want to trust him to save me, to make me right with God. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to pray a prayer right now, and this is just a, a, a marking moment to begin this journey of following Jesus. He's going to save you when you call upon his name today. Let's pray this prayer. You can join along with me here in the room and also online. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I have not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I give you my life. I put all my hope and trust in you. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.